0: Hello friends, today we're going to be going over what the New Testament authors, Matthew and Mark, actually cared about. And I'm just summarizing these two chapters in the book that I have um, because they are pretty lengthy. I have been prolonging this for so long because I got overwhelmed. (laughs) So let's just jump right in and get this done. So the book of Matthew... Uh, was written by Matthew the tax collector as it is assumed and Matthew demonstrated that Jesus was the Davidic Messiah by opening his gospel with a genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David the son of Abraham he wanted to demonstrate Jesus identity as the Davidic Messiah who fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant God's ancient promise to David can be found in 2 Samuel 7 verses 8 through 14 which state Now then tell my servant David this is what the Lord Almighty says I took you from the pasture from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have cut off all your enemies before you now i will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth and i will provide a place for my people israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and they have done ever since the time i appointed leaders over my people israel i will also give you rest from all your enemies The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod yielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. This promise is also found in Psalms chapter 2, verse 7, which says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And lastly, in Psalms chapter 89, verses 3 and 4, which state, You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel all prophesied that this coming one was the hope of Israel. Matthew identified Jesus as the fulfillment of these promises when he called Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. The word Messiah means anointed one, and it's interchangeably used with Christ throughout the New Testament to reference Jesus. The name Jesus, meaning Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves, was the Greek transliteration of the Old Testament name Joshua. And transliteration just means whenever the foreign word is written in the corresponding letters of one's own alphabet. In the first century, the name Jesus was very common among Jewish men. So Christians, therefore, felt the necessity of differentiating their Jesus from others who went by the same name. And they did this by uh, appending the titles Messiah and Christ to Jesus' name. One of Matthew's goals was to show that Jesus' ministry fulfilled the Old Testament. The most frequent title that Jesus applied to himself was Son of Man, which occurs 30 times in Matthew. This term designates Jesus as the authoritative figure spoken of in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, which say, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Matthew really cared that his readers fully comprehend the full meaning of Jesus' identity. When Jesus appeared, he came as Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, and ultimately, as God himself in the flesh. We can see this correlation in Matthew chapter 1 verse 23 which says, "The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us." Matthew wanted his readers to understand God's character through the life and ministry of Jesus, for God was with us in Jesus as he washed his disciples' feet, ate with the tax collectors and sinners, and ultimately, as he suffered and died in self-sacrifice on the cross. There is a lot more to this chapter than what I covered here, but if you do want to read this book, I will link where you can find this book, somewhere in the description. So next we're going over Mark's Gospel. Mark's Gospel is the shortest one, coming in at 16 chapters. And in chapter 16, Um, It states that verses 9 through 20 have been omitted in the earliest manuscripts. This is probably because they were technically not part of Peter's memoirs. Mark wasn't a follower of Jesus during his earthly ministry, but rather worked with the apostle Peter, who served as a source of information for Mark's gospel. The Mark they were most likely referring to was John Mark, who was a co-worker of both Peter and Paul. The majority of Mark's audience must have been Gentile Christians, as he felt it necessary to explain Jewish customs and translate Aramaic expressions. They probably had some experience with suffering for the sake of Jesus, as Mark sprinkled references to persecution throughout his gospel, and he assumed his audience could make sense of Jesus' statement about all men hating them because of their commitment to him. Mark cared deeply about telling the story of Jesus. He was a gifted storyteller. Mark's gospel is a historical narrative, a story about real people and real events, but it is still in the shape of a book. Yet, Mark's gospel is more than a well-told tale because it claims to present the defining story for all the world, for all time. Mark told the story of Jesus... God's one true Messiah who had compassion on us and gave his life for us. Jesus opened the way for anyone to follow him so that we can learn to love God and others as he did and learn to live with sacrifice and service as he did. Mark's gospel has power because it invites us to live within its story and never leave, to fit our own story within the larger story of Jesus. The reason that Mark's gospel is probably the shortest is because he wasn't there to account all of the stories, so he's going based off of what he's been told, but he does a really good job about putting all of the descriptions, descriptive words, and um, irony into his gospel. So according to Mark, the religious leaders mocked Jesus while he was dying on the cross. They said, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, the king of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. That's from Mark's chapter 15, verses 31 and 32. And the irony was that Jesus saved others because he did not come down from the cross. Those who see and believe in this dying king found salvation in him. So that is all that I'm going to go over in Mark's chapter as well. I hope that you guys enjoyed this message. And again, I will be linking somewhere to buy the book if you are interested in picking this book up for yourself. I hope that you all have a great day. And next time we'll probably get into Psalms because I'm pretty curious on that. So till next time.